We don't talk about Timothy that often. Whether in worship or in Bible study, he isn't really one of the more fascinating characters in Scripture. But he's been Paul's associate for years, so you know he's been through something. Uh, and he now has a charge over a group of churches, so maybe we can call him one of the first circuit riders, if not the first circuit riding preacher. He's got to have some stories. No, he's not the only uh, individual recipient. Uh, he is the only individual recipient of a personal letter from Paul that we know of in the New Testament. Um, the rest, as we know, are addressed to churches. Corinth, Rome, uh, Ephesus, and on. Uh, but this is to Timothy. We still don't know that much about him, though, for him to be given this much attention. We know he's from Lystra in Asia Minor. We know he was a person with a depth of feeling because Paul recalls Timothy's tears. We know Timothy was a genuine and a sensitive Christian. Paul says, I remember your sincere faith. And we know that Timothy has a grandmother named Lois and a mother named Eunice who raised him in the faith and probably watches all his sermons online. So though we only have this faded Polaroid of Timothy, we can still make at least one educated guess about him from this letter. He's downcast. He's burned out. He's having a hard time keeping the, the flame of faith alive in his heart. But Paul speaks to him, leans over close to him through the words of his letter. And with a gentle voice, he says, For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. Remember, he says, the zeal you had. Remember the excitement and the adventure of it all. Remember your baptism. Remember your being sent out with a purpose. This is no time for a spirit of cowardice, but a time for a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. I wonder if when Timothy opens this letter, he, he hears Paul's words uh, flashing back into his memory from a different letter, from words from years ago, Paul writing to the Corinthians. And Timothy arrives in Corinth not long after the Corinthians received that first letter. So I wonder if he hears the echo of what Paul told them then. Be watchful. Stand firm in your faith. Be strong. Be courageous. Let everything you do be done in love. You know, I don't think it takes too much time for us to identify with Timothy. Like Timothy, we can find across our fellowship great depths of feeling and genuine faith, joyful hope and zeal for the Lord and tearful sincerity. We find watchfulness and deep-rooted faith, strength, courage, and of course, love. But we can also uh, identify with what Timothy has been going through. 
We don't know exactly what it is that's got him down, but we know what it's like to be sad. Each one of us. Sad about the world and the state of things. We know what it's like to be frustrated with life and with work or with family or yes, even with church. If I may be so bold as to say that I know some of us feel that we have been diminished here by many challenges. And we are not alone as a church in that. But too many, too many downward pressures on us to name in any one sermon. But I wonder if today, if I could speak frankly with you from the heart, from Timothy's perspective first and then from Paul. Some of what I want to say to you today, I've been waiting to say for a long time. Words that have been building up one by one in, in my heart and my soul. But first, I want to put on Timothy's mantle and share with you some of the things that brought, have brought me to tears in recent years. And I don't think I'd be alone in what I will name. Because if you only see me in the pulpit or in the hallways around here, you could be fooled into thinking I only carry a smile on my face. But I want you to know that I carry in my chest a sensitive heart. And like yours, mine has its fair share of scars. Speaking from a broken heart, I want to tell you that I have carried with me many years now a sense of worry about dun-dun-dun numbers. Attendance, dollars, it's really part of my job to worry about those things. Now we should never make numbers our primary concern. Mission, bold action, gospel faith should always be our first concern and I believe it is. It is mine. I've never sensed that I was called to pay primary attention to those things. But I know this has also been an important concern for you as well. This is a shared worry. Before the 2016 election, before Charlottesville, before our discernment process, before the onset of the great pestilence and George Floyd and online worship and campus votes, our sanctuary was packed. And now pews do sit empty, and I don't mean to dwell on this. I simply want you to know that I know. If you doubted that I knew or if you doubted that I take it seriously, I want you to know I do. I want you to know that I have and still do carry this burden in my flesh if I get out of the habit of exercising daily, uh, it, it really does catch up with me. Um, if I'm not careful, I sneeze, I pull a muscle. Some people are like, Mac, that's because you're over 40. Like, no, it's both. Uh, I remember several years ago, somebody left the church. Um, they said, man, the preacher didn't do anything but preach about social issues all the time. And I... I got so mad 
that one day I was washing dishes and was so tense that I broke the glass in my hand over the sink. It just shattered, just all that tension and anxiety. And then I did it again later that week. I do carry this in my body, as I know many of you do too. This is your church, and you get worried about it. And I join you in that worry. But I have been elated by those who've joined up with us, who are excited about our generous missions and ambitious vision, but it is visible and undeniable that we have been left diminished in number. I cannot pretend that this has not been a source of sadness for me and for us. For this reason, I believe Paul would sidle up to us today just like he did with Timothy and say, be watchful, stand firm in your faith, be strong. Be courageous. Let everything you do be done in love. Speaking of numbers, did you know that last year, 2021, many of our members, that's you, increased their pledges by the tune of $120,000 above what they had originally promised. It's really amazing. That was 2021. Remember half that year, we weren't even in here until June, the beginning of June. That's amazing. And yet, there were about four dozen households who fell short of their pledge, and that added up to about $148,000. And these are not folks leaving, and that's not me squeezing glass to death in the, over the kitchen sink. It was just 2021. These are our people. And I've challenged recently our deacons to help us do better this year, to lead that charge. I've already said that to them, but I want to say it to you. And I want to give the benefit of the doubt to everybody to say that this strange number does not tell a story of frustration or of defeat or of giving up. Rather, I believe this tells a story of people's lives disrupted, of forgetfulness, a story of difficulty or challenge across a year that, that continued to turn us all upside down. I believe that's really what happened. And I believe we can do better this year and next. There's so much goodness at stake that we may be mindful and watchful and stand firm in our faith and be strong and courageous and let everything we do be done in love. It makes a difference. And I believe this long separation has left us threadbare. Like years ago, I was uh, on a college campus and I was on the bus and I remember distinctly feeling like, man, either I'm just really getting old or something has fundamentally changed about the way we talk to each other now because all the way from point A to point B, everyone on the bus was quiet and looking at their phones. Oh, good Lord. You just kind of disappear into this utopia uh, dimension. I, I, I don't understand, but I do remember distinctly when I was riding the bus in college, we talked to each other. How about that game? How about that game, man? Carolina beat those techies. Hokies, sorry. 
And we'd talk and laugh and make plans and say, I'll see you Thursday night. Man, I didn't hear any of that on this bus. Something has really changed. It's not just church, it's our culture. It makes me almost wish we went back to like everybody smoking cigarettes again because at least then people would get out of the office and go stand on the fire escape and talk to each other. And no smoking, kids. Let's not get back. Don't smoke. But I kind of miss that, don't you? Just talking to each other, hanging out. Not here, but here, 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 here. Connecting. I believe somehow this long separation has mysteriously deconditioned us. And when we stay away from each other long enough, it becomes more difficult to navigate the awkwardness of reconnecting. And the challenges of our time, combined with letting our own bad habits get in the way, make it harder to attend the most important thing of all. And the only thing that's going to make us strong again as a church, as a city, as a nation communion we've got to recondition ourselves to to dine together again i know covid's in the way man i just got it i didn't like it there's a bunch of people out today that have it some of these pews are empty just because of that we've got to learn to love one another again in these practical ways as soon as we can and we have to learn to trust one another again. This is everyone's responsibility. Yes, it starts, well, it starts with all of us, but yes, it's part of the, the staff's responsibility. We're working constantly to discern where the weak places are so that we can tend to them and be strong again. We're, we're working hard to make worship a beautiful, sacred hour, a haven for the brokenhearted, for the lost, for sinners and saints. We're all both. I love on a Sunday when a new person comes in and they lift up their eyes and something comes over them, a sense of, of peace, of calm, maybe even the, ver- the first inkling of belonging. You're not feeling a phantom. You're feeling something true. You are welcome here. We want to be friends. We need your help and your gifts. But we as a staff, we do work hard, and we, we also fall short. We miss things. We forget things, starting with me. We've gone through this difficult time too, though. We, um, several of us with young children and very complicated family situations, we're human, but we love you. I love you. You have a group of missionaries in us. You have a group of fighters on your behalf. You have a group of dreamers and doers working alongside you. We ask humbly for your trust, your support, for the benefit of your doubt. I know we've been apart, and you have to wonder, what have they been doing? (laughs) But we've been stewards of the mysteries on your behalf even when you couldn't see it. And we beg your forgiveness for the things we've done and left undone, but together we promise you 
that we will continue to seek to be faithful and to be, again, stewards of these mysteries and to equip the saints, that's you, for radical, faithful ministry in the world. Trusting one another again is all of our responsibility. To be sure, we have had to hold many weighty decisions together in a relatively short period of time. You've been amazing. You've been extraordinary. You've been resilient. You've been brilliant. I don't turn around enough and look at you. Just realize I'm, miss, I'm missing out on a lot of fun back here. Uh, I want you to know that, too, that I brag about you when I'm out of town. I'm in, in town, too. I really want you to know this. I am, I am not going to conventions and to, to peer groups and, and complaining about my people. I brag about you. I tell stories about you. I'm really proud of you. My colleagues do the same. But I know you've been taxed, too. With all these hard-charging efforts and the significant amount of information and communication we've had to share, it can leave us, some of us feeling confused or resentful or like we've been left out. I know. I feel it, too. But I invite us all to assume the best about each other, to lean into each other with a, a posture of trust and fidelity. That's who we are, and that's who we are when we're at our best. We trust God. We trust each other. Mac, what exactly is it that you want us to do with this sermon? Well, I want you to be watchful and to stand firm and to be strong and to be courageous and to let everything you do be done and loved, yes. But I also want all of us to do what Paul invites Timothy to do, and that is to rekindle his faith if he finds it flickering. And he says to do that, remember, Timothy, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Remember their faith. I want to tell you about my grandmother's faith. I called her Nanny, my mother's mother. And Nanny didn't have a whole lot. She lived on disability. She made this really great punch called Connie's Cooler. She grew up Baptist, but she couldn't really go to church in her later years, so she watched the Catholic church on TV, and we said, well, why are you, what, where did the change happen? He said, well, it's, she said, it's just beautiful. It's just so beautiful. And I love going to her house because it smelled like candles and bojangles and cigarettes. But um, uh, <laughs> yeah, they don't make this scent at Bath and Body Works. Um, she had candy out everywhere. I mean, it was just like a wonderful place for a kid to want to go and just feel welcome and and cozy, and it was so much fun. But she really didn't have much to give. 
but on every birthday for her many grandchildren. We would get a $5 bill or a $10 bill. And at Christmas too, and at Halloween, and I would think, where does she get this? How is she doing this? And when I, I hear the Spirit prompting me to be generous, I remember Nanny. And I want you to remember her too, because there's somebody in your life like that. And her name is Lois in Scripture, but in your life she has another name. And I want you to remember your mother too, or your father, or whoever it was who spit in their hand and wiped your hair to get it right before they brought you to church. Because that's what my mom did. And I still remember, I'm like, oh man, she's wiping, she just spit in her hand and she put it in my hair. <laughs> but she'd also give me a little envelope with four quarters in it. It wasn't my four quarters. It was her four quarters. She'd plop it in my hand, and I would go up to the third floor of the education building, and there was Mary White and Nell Briley, and they were probably only like 70 years old then, but to me, they were like 1,000 years old. <laughs> and every Sunday, they hugged me and said, Welcome. Remember Eunice's faith. Be strong. And be courageous. And let everything we do be done in love. And remember one more thing. I was writing this sermon while I was listening. I always write sermons while I'm listening to uh, music. Soundtracks often, soundtracks to movies. And for this one, I was listening to the soundtrack for the Shawshank Redemption. So if you'll, again, I'm a sensitive heart, a little bit sentimental, but if you'll just come along with me for this last move. You've probably seen Shawshank Redemption because you probably had cable in the 90s. <laughs> but you remember when Brooks gets free he, he's he served his time and, and he leaves and it's too much for him it's too much change he doesn't know what to do it's all come down on him so hard and he has too many weights to bear and he cannot and Brooks gives up but then you remember Red later He's given the chance to be free. And Red gets out of prison. And something changes in him. And he finds a renewed faith. And he goes and finds his friend for communion. You remember what it was he said? You get busy living. Or you get busy dying. Now the God of Jesus Christ is with us. 
And the best news of all, this God is a God of life. 